features thought leadership interviews with bank and credit union executives. If you are the CEO or would like to be an executive one day, this is the podcast for you. Learn something new in each episode to improve the performance at your financial institution. And now, here's our host, Charlie Kelly. Hi, this is Charlie Kelly, the host of Bank Talk and a partner at Remedy Consulting. Today, we're going to get to our second session on digital benchmarking with Joshua Jordan. We left off our last session, and we were just about to talk talk about e-statements and what they mean to you as a bank or a credit union. So let's get started. So let's talk uh, e-statements uh, just briefly. And e-statements, I think, you know, to me is a cost savings more than anything. It, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, you feel greener about yourself because you don't have paper flying around back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me tell me what kind of numbers going on in the in kind of usage in, in e-statements. We're seeing that that shift again in the, in the last, I would say, five to 10 years is probably the, the bigger shift in, in this type of adoption of, of statements. And a lot of it, you know, there is a, a green element to it for sure. You definitely hit that. But there's also the element of, of cost. Like you said, it's, it's paper. And that's, you know, if there's one uh, equalizer across all FIs, and that's not just community FIs, it's not big tier one FIs, it's not commercial, you know, FIs versus retail versus, you know, ag focus or wherever your focus is, paper is involved in all of those. So that's the great equalizer. And paper is relatively speaking the same cost for everybody. And so putting numbers around e-statement, you know, and 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 having that as a, a tool set available is is pretty easy to do because you can say, okay, a, a good adoption rate is about half. And any more, as we know, it's that's a cost savings because not only are we not executing on that paper, but if we do have to execute on that paper, likely we're charging for it. You know, there's most institutions probably have some sort of fee built into that uh, if you don't adopt. And so it's become a, a, a pretty powerful tool from a revenue standpoint, both either cost savings or revenue generation. We see the community banking space uh, right there with the, the high performers, you know, in the tier one space as far as adoption in that 40 to 50% range. The low range, of course, you know, there's obviously, you know, Banks and, and, and credit unions that aren't doing that as much or adopting as much, or maybe you don't even charge that fee just yet. But again, that that being the great equalizer, it's it's you almost consider that a matter of time uh, before that uh, that shift begins to happen or that demand almost begins to happen from the the user base. Yeah, and I think the numbers I've heard around these statements had historically hung around you know sort of a buck ninety to maybe two dollars, depending on what you're counting. But you know when you talk about stamp envelope compilation of the of the statement itself labor, et cetera, you know, whatever's involved there in pulling together the statement, getting it in the correct envelope, getting it mailed out, you know, call it, call it a buck 90 per statement. You know, anytime, anytime somebody clicks that button says they're willing to go e-statements, consider you having saved yourself a buck 90 times the number of statements you send out, whether those are monthly, quarterly, what have you. Yeah. And I would say that correlates okay. pretty directly to the the fees that you see charged as well. You know, it's around that $2. Uh, I would say, at least to the banks and FIs that I've talked to over the years, you know, it's, it's probably in that particular range. Uh, okay, so then we're moving on. We got two left. We're going to speak a few minutes around bill payments, and then we're just going to we're going to touch on cards because I think cards. I don't know that I would call that necessarily 
part of the digital strategy, but it certainly you know morphs into payments. I would say. So tell me about bill payment, mm-hmm. presentment, uh, paying your bills from your from the application that uh, you know exists at your financial institution. Yeah, again, just like kind of, I think we just kind of re- makes a, a good correlation to what we talked about. Well, you know, one of the first topics, which was the remote deposit. So those checks, it's it's just the adverse of that. You know, it's just you know the checks going out. That's actively you know uh, increasing over the years, and and again, just in this last twelve months. Uh, we've seen that uh, increase even more, but you would say, you know, your high performing banks are in that 40, maybe even approaching 50% uh, penetration of the, of their users actively paying bills. And it's, it's an average of about six bills or six payments a month going out. It's a fair number of times that uh, money is leaving your institution. Yeah. I would um, think, especially in that category, particularly, you know, whatever number you use as far as the number of payments, you got to remember there's some competition there, right? You can always go pay your cable bill at the cable provider. And in that scenario, I wouldn't think that that would mean you, you, we wouldn't, you know, as far as number of, number of transactions per month, right? That wouldn't count against the four to six that are being seen out of the bank. And I think that becomes a two, uh, again, I, I probably keep coming back to the same thing. Um, and I apologize if it's getting old hat at this point, but the digital strategy uh, and that primary relationship, that kind of that battlefield, if we will, for the primary relationship, it really comes back down to the path of least resistance when it comes to bill pay. Is the path of least resistance, have we made it digitally easier to do it with the FI or easier to do it with the the utility or the, the bill pay person? And so the goal, of course, being it should be easier with the FI. Where all of my other tools for finance live should also be the place where I pay those bills. And so that's, a big, again, a big part of that digital strategy. Yeah, we could have a whole podcast on that. I've I've had that argument with my, uh, you know, semi-adult children about where they pay their <laughs> bills. But but uh, you know, it's a it, it's a it's a preference, right? So th- some of the larger providers are doing. I think you said you know roughly forty percent. Is it same for the community banks, or is it a different number? A little lower uh, for the community <laughs> banks. Not not dramatically. You know, maybe five percent lower. So in that thirty thirty five percent, you know, about four bills per month. On average, there, so it's it's not dramatically lower, uh, but it is a little bit. And again, it uh, you would probably correlate that your high performer or tier one bank to community bank with the with that whole primary relationship conversation, right? right. Yeah, and and the number of times they you know, they want to get into the tool and that type of thing too, mm-hmm. right? So some of it might be the quality of the tool that a community bank can afford. Some of it might be how many times you know how, have you trained them that this is the this is your you know your primary place to go whenever you want to do something financial, and and by yeah. this I mean you know that however they got there right whether that's your e-commerce or their mobile tool right I think you know bill payment is that that might be a little more difficult to quantify the dollar amount but I think you know again maybe the you, you tell me I think the relationship side of it again and and you know kind of using this as your one portal to get all your financials done um, would be you know at least in my head is where. I find value as a customer, at least. Yeah, and I think you're right there. I think that's more of a one of, you know, at this point, bill pay is in the industry is probably table stakes as you have to have that tool. Um, hopefully, it's a usable tool to, to, again, get back to that path of least resistance. So it's the tool they use as opposed to going right, directly to the utility or whoever they're paying uh, okay. for that. But yeah, it's it would probably be a little tougher to put a dollar figure around it, but it's more of a, you know, a kind of a have to have good environment for your for digital. So now the last one we want to talk about is just uh, debit card usage. And again, kind of going back to our enrolled active primary account kind of discussion, 
this one is this is an interesting one because when you talk about adoption, I almost I almost don't like throwing adoption numbers around this one. And the reason I say that is because what are you counting? Are you counting your, the number of deposit accounts, right? Are you counting active deposit accounts, right? Because active is different. In other words, if I'm using that debit card, that's active, right? If I have that one that's sitting there with $100 in it, that's not active. So as far as penetration, I don't even know that it's worth talking about penetration on this one. But I do want to kind of talk about the value and the you know sort of number of transactions that that you know you would see somebody running if they were active. Can you speak to any of that at all? Yeah, and I think this is this is again this is probably one we could spend the next couple of hours on talking about uh, from a not just adoption standpoint and you know but the the interchange revenue pr- perspective of that. But I would say it, it almost goes into a larger picture of of use of the relationship because, and, and I'll probably throw you a curveball here because this is kind of another subcategory under the payments that we didn't really talk too much about. But if you think about real time and think about things like Zelle as, as a part of the you know RTP network, but also other payment movement engines, you know, we think about PayPal and we think about Venmo, but those, those payment movement engines are trying to get into the banking space. And so they're getting, you know, deposit accounts that I can, I could keep money with, PayPal, keep money with Venmo. And so that then becomes a deposit, but they both started and both still have the feature set of I'm using a card as the facilitator of that movement of that money. And so if I use that card instead of PayPal, and that's my direct payment, that's still the interchange revenue back to the bank. That's still that, that engagement that we want to see or that adoption that we want to see. So understanding again, that this is a part of a bigger you know, ecosystem as far as payments are concerned. And then understanding that, you know, payments becomes a part of the the platform that we need to give our customers the best access to from, from everywhere, whether that is the card, credit or debit, primarily debit, you know, from the bank's perspective. But then also, you know, am I utilizing this this account as, you know, the card's not the only way that those funds aren't gonna are gonna leave. You know, we talked about bill pay, but Zelle's a way that those funds are going to leave. Uh, real-time money movement by ACH and and you know when the Fed does their real-time money movement rail eventually. Those are going to be all these different paths that money leaves. We got to make sure that money is you know, coming from our primary relationship um, when we are engaged with those services. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, a phenomenal perspective because, again, trying to get the primary relationship means you need to have all the tools to do what, you know, whether it's a, non, a, a non-bank, we'll call it, right? We'll call it a fintech, yeah. but the fintechs are trying to steal away. Okay, so uh, this has been great. I, I think this has really helped uh, anybody who wants to track their digital strategy, you know, put some numbers around, maybe build their own goals. Um, at least they have a starting place, I think, to kind of track activity. Uh, well, I do have one last question before we finish, though, and that is, so now that they know how to track it, right, what are what are your thoughts on how to build usage? Is it go, go get better tools? What methods outside of, you know, or, and try to be as specific as possible, do what opportunities are out there to try to build this usage as they move forward? Well, I mean, it, it, it's probably a combination of a lot of different things. I mean, it, it certainly is the tools that you're using. You know, uh, it's uh, that's part of the equation for sure. Um, it's the access for the end user. You know, are they getting access to those tools from you or from somebody else? Where are they getting them? You know, understanding are they getting them from a, a challenger bank, neobank? You know, your chimes and pharaohs of the world. Are they getting them from a, a third party that's just focused on an aggregation like a mint.com? You know, so understanding what options are out there for your users uh, definitely makes a, a, a huge impact on how your strategy that evolves to how you're going to, you know, maybe not necessarily shut those users or sh- shut those, uh, those third parties out or those fintechs out, but maybe invite them in and be a partner with them. 
you know, again, we, we kind of talked about how do you count your users, right? And uh, to me, something that you brought up before is pretty important there. When you talk about who owns the primary, banks and credit unions have, have access to a lot of data. There's a very easy way to figure out whether or not things are moving in and out of your core. And it's really account activity, right? And if account activity, whether you call it, right, so everything eventually, if you know, it goes through the active account, has to get to the core. If, if account activity in a certain percentage of your accounts is high, those are the ones that I, I would argue you have primary account relationship with today. Not that you'll have it tomorrow, right? Because your tools may be bad. You may be losing ground or gaining ground. But you know, when you talk about subdividing the data, you could easily look at, let's just say, as an example, your deposit accounts, eliminate the ones that are not active or use those as a sales potential for, for a cross-sale potential to, to mm-hmm. speak to that person if they ever come to your teller line and ask them why this isn't active, right? Is, it, is there a reason? Are we doing something right, doing something wrong? As I'm thinking about just sort of how a bank can define whether or not, you know, uh, if you've got 30,000 accounts at your bank, at your, at your community bank or your credit union, and 8,000 of them are active, you've got to make a determination as to whether you feel that's a good number. And because those, you know, there is a strategy for the inactives and there's a strategy for the actives. And I think the the, the digital piece of that is a big portion of that strategy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Them, if you're losing them for, for a lack of tools, right? Or if you're losing them for a lack of strategy, <laughs> right? If you're losing them because because you're not concentrating on them because you got too much else going on at the at the bank, right? You got too much, uh, your, you got your day job to do. Then- yeah. You, that right then that's that's uh, strategically you may not be looking at it the right way i'm sorry yeah i i think go ahead go on. you know a couple of times there it, it boils down to strategy and you know again uh, i'm a digital guy so this is this is my lifeblood here so i'll talk for the next you know five hours if you let me about all the different pieces of that strategy that can be implemented but really at the end of the day as an fi if you're a community fi and i suppose maybe the takeaway from this you know what we're what we're talking about here is is you should have a strategy and if you don't there should be a, a person or a committee or a group within your FI that is paying attention to this if they're not already. And if they are, making sure that they're paying attention to these appropriate things within this digital strategy. And are those the things that are going to make us successful, not just today, but going into the future? A couple of things, and this has been said by, by you know, my counterparts inside of uh, Jack Henry for, for a long time, at least through this pandemic. And that is, you know, the two things that we've really learned as a, a digital provider inside of this time frame is one is that digital is no longer an option. This is not a cool feature anymore. This is table stakes. You have to have this to do any kind of business. But self-service is not sufficient. That's not the only thing. So community institutions have a built-in strategic advantage. And that's the fact, you know, your customers, you like your customers, they know and like you. And so you have that relationship. And that's, that's really what community banking was built on is relationship banking. And so not losing that just because we're talking about shifting our experience to the digital channel. So having a platform or having an environment that can address all of these needs, that financial wellness, that relationship is, is of the utmost importance. And if we're not thinking about that right now, really, really absolutely should be. And are you finding that out there in the world, right, in the community bank space uh, or community credit union space, are, they, um, are you finding that there's a movement towards assigning a person, a digital manager, a, you know, is, is, that, is that a movement or they or is it, at least in your opinion, are they being done by committee? In other words, is there a is there a digital committee, or or isn't even it gone that far yet? We're seeing more and more and more 
there's a, a digital czar, if you will, or an ambassador inside of the institution. And a lot of times I've been seeing it even more and more in the community banking space in the C-suite. You know, there's a, a, a title that's uh, probably newer in, in the zeitgeist as far as uh, C-suite titles go, but the chief experience officer um, is something that I've seen at more and more banks. And it's because they're looking at this and going, okay, what's the experience of our users? What's the experience? They, they actually look at both sides. They look at what the experience of their employees is, but they also look at the experience of their user. And when you talk about digital experience, or you talk about you know that, that person who's paying attention to those experiences for the users, digital is really where they're focusing their attention. So we're seeing a lot of uh, community FIs kind of adopting that philosophy of either having that chief experience officer, whether you call it that specific name or not, you know, it could be the digital banking person. In some cases, it might be one or two or a three you know, person committee, but we do see a lot more times than not that that's becoming a specific role within the institution to focus just on digital. And that role then is to, is to build usage to some degree. When you think of user experience, you know, they used to call it UI in the old digital in the tools world, right? But but whatever your user experience is in specifically when they go log into your products, I would think that you know both building a good experience as well as building making sure that the number of users is adequate that are using your tools are, would probably be you know two of the two of the categories you think about when you think about a, a chief experience officer. For sure, yeah. I mean, you, you the the more astute among the, uh, the you know bank and credit union CEOs uh, that we've dealt with and that are in the country realize that, you know, most of those individuals didn't get into the position they're in through the digital channel, <laughs> through software. Mm-hmm. They're not, a lot of them coders, you know, or programmers. They're they're most likely lenders. So they they kind of came up through the organization that way. And so they monetize, that's the the, the moneymaker for the bank. They, they understand how to monetize their customer relationships. Now we're in a world where monetizing the digital relationship is just as important or maybe even more important. And so having that person or, or group of people within the institution that can can do that, can look at it through that lens, is, is certainly something that's required. Well, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate your time today. This is this has been phenomenal. I mean, I think this is, it's very important. You know, kind of as we as we've spoken about throughout to maybe not maybe not take these numbers specifically, but I think every one of these can be used. You know, as, as we think about at least some of the some of the usage and where healthy versus maybe not healthy enough fits. Right. At at least it gives any of our users the ability to take a look at that and go, do we feel like we are in the right place based on where our number is compared to maybe, you know, how the rest of the world is doing? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate you giving me a a forum to spread the gospel according to digital. (laughs) And I guess, again, that's why you have the big man's title, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. Well, Joshua, before I let you go, is there any way if uh, any of our listeners want to reach out to you, any way that, uh, you know, talking about spreading, spreading the gospel, right? If they want to get you, what's the best place to get to get to you? Yeah, so there's uh, there's a lot of different ways to get information from from me specifically or from from Jack Henry specifically. So uh, a few websites I'll point out. Uh, uh, JackHenryDigital.com is a great resource of information about a lot of the things that we're talking about and, and really our approach to the digital um ecosystem, the digital strategy. Uh, Bano.com is a wealth of information as well about our specific uh, offerings that we have. Um, and then if you wanted to get specifically in contact or learn more about our products and services, uh, our digital approach, our platform, uh, digital experience at jackhenry.com is a great place to, uh, to send an email to and um, somebody will get with you and, and be able to talk. And if you really want to request me, Jordan at jackhenry.com, and I'm happy to, uh, to talk to you about anything. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks again for joining us. 
Okay, well, I'd like to thank Joshua again for helping us out with this episode. I look at this episode and I think that it means an awful lot if you're in a place where you're trying to decide for your bank or credit union whether or not you're really bringing in those active digital users. And if at some point you want to put together some material related to, am I seeing a return on my investment? Am I uh, able to take a look at what I pay for the tools that I have to add to get these active users and try to determine what that's worth to me as a bank in order to get these active participants? So that's all for today. For Bank Talk, this is Charlie Kelly. Keep on learning. And that concludes part two of two with Joshua Jordan of Jack Henry. To reach Joshua, please email jjordan at jackhenry.com. Thank you for listening to Bank Talk Podcast. To learn more information, go to banktalkpodcast.com or check out remedyconsult.net. And we will see you in the next episode.